in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. Happy Halloween, friends. Our favorite day is finally here. The day that we wait all year for. The day when, you know, everyone else gets on our spooky vibe. And uh, I hope that you are all having a great Halloween day. Um, I just wanted to pop in and give a little bonus episode today. I hadn't really planned on it, but I recently watched Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, Uh, for the second time in my life. And I thought, you know, uh, this might make a fun little bonus episode. And uh, it's not the norm. You know, it's not the classic Halloween. It's not one of the more popular ones, but I had some thoughts about it. So um, I wanted to weigh in. But before we get there, uh, I want to address some of the horror news that's been out in the world. I don't talk about news a lot um, but there are a couple of things that I just wanted to address. Um, the first one is the Candyman release date. Uh, it has once again been pushed back. It was originally supposed to be released, I think, September of this year. Um, and then they pushed it back a couple of times. And now we are looking at a late August 2021 release, which is a long time to wait. Um, everybody, I think, is a little bit disappointed by that news. But I am kind of encouraged by it, and that is because I feel like the studio really believes in it if they are willing to wait instead of putting it out, uh, you know, VOD. They really want people to experience this film in a theater, and I also think that they have pushed it to late summer because it's almost getting a jump on the Halloween season. Uh, For me, Halloween season starts September 1. So an August 27 release date for Candyman really works for me. And I think they probably don't want to compete with the October release that is going to be Halloween Kills, which is probably smart. So by and large, I am also disappointed that we're not gonna see it for a good bit, but I do think that release date is a wise release date. So, um, you know, I recorded a whole like retrospective on the Candyman franchise thus far. So you now have plenty of time to check that out if you have not. And I will be sharing it in probably more Candyman content as we get closer to the release. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is the recent uh, poll article, whatever, that uh, somebody did and put out where they're talking about the scariest movies of all time. This is not a new concept. Um, I don't know how many times you see something that says, oh, this is the scariest movie of all time. That's the scariest movie of all time. Um, People put it in their marketing for films, you know, and you usually just sort of like shrug it off. Um, But the most recent one is Sinister. Somebody did, I haven't done a ton of research into exactly how they came about, but there's like a top 10 list and hereditaries in it. A lot of modern horror films are in it, but Sinister came out on top. And uh, anytime you call something the scariest movie ever made or whatever, the haters are going to just come out of the woodwork 
and be sure to let you know why this is wrong. Um, If you say The Shining is the scariest, if you say The Exorcist is the scariest, someone's going to come out and be like, oh, that movie didn't scare me at all. So I just want to bang the drum for Sinister. Um, Is it the scariest movie ever made? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe for somebody. But that's not really the point here for me. I have been so happy to just see it in the news and um, see it get attention. Hopefully people who haven't seen it will go see it now. Hopefully they're not disappointed because it's been overhyped, but I have always loved Sinister. I remember the first time I saw the Red Brand trailer and I was so excited. I remember the first time I saw it in a theater. I was not disappointed. Um, It's just a great movie and I love it. Uh, And if you don't love it or you weren't impressed by it, you know, that's fine. Um, Horror and film is subjective. And so what one person loves, someone else might not be impressed with. But I just think, I mean, it's a very well-made movie. Um, I'm a big fan of both the director, Scott Derrickson, and the writer, C. Robert Cargill. Um, I think it's just a pretty simple, just effective horror movie. And um, I really appreciate that how it got its R rating because you also have people out there who say, oh, well, if a horror is not rated R, it's not really horror, which is a cop out because all you have to do to get an R rating is have more than two F words or a gratuitous sex scene or one really gory scene. I mean, there's R doesn't equal scary. It's just telling you about adult content. So Sinister was rated R, not for language, not for sex, not for gore. Um, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a violent movie, um, but there aren't any super you know, gore scenes. Um, it got rated R just for being scary, basically. And uh, I think that's quite an accomplishment. So Sinister, glad it's got a spotlight on it. Um, if you haven't seen it, please give it a chance. It's just a really solid little movie. Uh, it's beautiful. The acting is great. I mean, all in on Ethan Hawke. And uh, there's another delightful character called Deputy So-and-So. I will not tell you about him. I will just let you discover him and fall in love with him the way the rest of us did. So anyway, now that all of that has been addressed, let's move on to the main event, which is Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. So I had not seen the Curse of Michael Myers since it came out in the mid-90s. I remember renting it from the local video store, which was one of those video stores that was like in the grocery store. Um, Not sure if you guys ever experienced that, but especially in a lot of smaller towns, um, the video store would be in a grocery store or like a gas station or something. And, um, you know, I'm going through looking at all the VHS covers like you do. And um, I think maybe it was the only Halloween movie on the shelf which is another thing I experienced a lot is, you know, you would want to rent the original, but they would only have like part four and seven and, you know, whatever. So I grabbed it, watched it as like I said, a kid, I was maybe like 10 or something, 10, 12. But I remember not liking it. Even at that age, I was like, this is not a good Halloween movie. And, you know, as kids, like it doesn't take as much to impress us and we're not as critical. So I was always like, well, if I didn't think it was good when I was a kid, I'm probably not going to enjoy it as an adult. So in recent years, though, I've heard a little bit of buzz about this movie here and there. And 
I've heard people kind of apologize for it and be like, it's actually not that bad. And I kind of enjoy it. And it's really kind of fun. And um, specifically, I mentioned in my stories, the Halloweenies podcast, um, they pick a horror franchise and they do like a deep dive into every single entry in that franchise. And of course, Halloween was first. And um, I got to their Curse of Michael Myers episode and they had like a lot of interesting things to say about it. So I was like, okay, I need to like dive in here and give it another watch. Another reason I wanted to watch it is because Paul Rudd is in it. And it was his first movie. And, you know, Paul Rudd has had this interesting rise to fame where he was like that guy. You know, people didn't know his name. They just oh, it's that guy from Anchorman. It's that guy from Clueless. It's that guy from, you know, whatever. And, you know, in the past 10 years, I guess, he has become like super famous and everybody knows his name and everybody loves him. And it's always really fun to see these like big stars in crappy little horror films. It's a a blast. Also, fun note, my husband looks so much like Paul Rudd. Like we cannot go into public without someone saying, hey, has anyone ever told you you look like? And he like finishes their sentences, Paul Rudd. And we have a really interesting connection to Paul Rudd's career because it was that thing where we'd be in public and somebody would say, oh, you look like that guy, like that guy, you know, from like Anchorman. And because people didn't know his name. And now it's always, oh, you look like Paul Rudd. You look like Paul Rudd. And um, Paul Rudd doesn't really age. You know, he looks like he's 35, even though he's 50. And so as my husband David gets older and Paul Rudd does not age, they look more and more alike. And um, David has had a beard for like a few years now. And when pictures of Paul Rudd and a beard started popping up, he was just like, oh, man. (laughs) So anything with Paul Rudd in it is like just kind of a novelty for us, you know. Um, so I made him watch it with me. <laughs> I was like, Paul Rudd's in this. It's his first movie. Like, we need to watch it together. So all that being said, after rewatching it, I do have to say that it really wasn't like nearly as bad as I expected it to be. Like, I told David, I was like, strap in. This is going to go to some weird places. Like, let's just do it. Um, and it does one thing that I hate. And that is it gives Michael like a backstory and an origin for his evil, which is never one of my favorite plots. It's one of my big problems with the Rob Zombie version of Halloween. Like, I just don't need to see all this backstory about, oh, well, this is why he's evil, because that's part of the intrigue, you know, especially when Dr. Loomis gives us the the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, you know, monologue like that's so spooky. We don't need to know why it just it is. But... In Curse of Michael Myers, this whole evil cults druid backstory, it does not bother me as much. And I think maybe because I was just expecting us to go to some weird places, I just sort of bought it and like went along for the ride. So let's dive into the cult stuff. There's actually surprisingly little cult stuff which I guess is one of the knocks on the film. Um, I guess people are kind of confused by that plot line because we're just getting like little sprinkles of it here and there. Um, And they don't necessarily connect all the dots. You know, depending on the movie and how it's made, I, I don't need the dots connected for me all the time. I prefer a little bit of ambiguity. But anyway, there's this like producer's cut floating around out there that apparently has way more of the cult stuff and I guess ties that whole plot together in a more coherent way. 
Um, and that film is the one that's gained a little bit more of the cult following, no pun intended, and the positivity. And I actually meant to rent the producer's cut and didn't realize that I was not renting that one. Anyway, (laughs) and after I'd already paid to rent the regular one, I was like, I'm watching this one. I'm not going to go back and pay for another one. So anyway, um, but I'm actually kind of glad that I watched the original instead of the producer's cut because I went and read a little synopsis and like differences between the two and it sounds crazy. Like it sounds way over the top and I'm not sure that I would have enjoyed that as much. Um, I think it would have been more of the crazy ride I was expecting instead of the more subtle ride that we got. I definitely will watch the producer's cut at some point just because I'm curious now. Um, I'll definitely get around to it. And I will say that the end of this, the theatrical version was like a little abrupt. Um, It's not 100% clear like what happened. And so they basically just lifted a couple scenes from the producer's cut and didn't really bring it home in a way that like, oh, this is what happened. Then again, I appreciate some of that ambiguity. So now I want to take us down a road to Halloween 3 because um, I think part of the reason why I was willing to accept this cult stuff is because of its loose tie into Halloween 3. So Halloween 3 is an entry in the franchise that people hated when it came out and have hated for three decades. Uh, However, I have always loved it because... I understand why people were frustrated because they see Halloween 3. From what I understand, it wasn't marketed as like, hey, this is in the Halloween franchise, but there's no Michael Myers. It's a completely different story. It's in the same universe, if you will, but it's a different thing. So people went to the theater and they're expecting another Michael Myers slasher. And instead they get Tom Atkins and evil Halloween masks, which to me sounds like a great time. But when I first saw it as a child, you know, I, I knew I already knew it was different because my mom had told me it was different and I loved it and I've always loved it. But Halloween 3 has always carried around this sort of stigma as one of the worst in the franchise. And so has Halloween 6. So I think it's totally acceptable that these two are loosely tied together. And I would really have loved it if they would have went all in and like really tied them together. So what we get in Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, is uh, the backstory is that these druids um, mark one of the children in one of the tribes. And when they mark this child with the mark, it's called the Mark of Thorn. And when this child is marked this child becomes basically an agent of evil and slaughters his family. And it's like a sacrifice to the druidic spirits and it keeps the peace basically. So that through line is so much like Halloween three because, um, Cochran, Connell Cochran is telling us that's what the deal with the mask is, is that, and please, if you've not watched Halloween three, like please Pause, watch it, come back. But um, that's what the thing with the masks is, is they're sacrificing all these children because a sacrifice has to be made ever so often to keep the peace and to, you know, 
to satisfy whatever the spirits, the gods, whatever. So it's very parallel already. So I would have loved it if the doctor, the psychiatrist, who turns out to be evil, Dr. Loomis knows him. He turns out to be like head of the Druids or not head of the Druids, but head of this little sect that is responsible for the Mark of Thorn on Michael. If somehow that could have been like Dr. Chalice from part three, Tom Atkins' character, um, you could have made it work. You could have totally made it work. I just would have loved it. You know, let's just let's go all in. Let's tie them together. People already hate them both. Why not? Just why not? So it definitely, you know, would have taken some really creative storytelling. But like, let's let's be let's be honest. That is what late slasher franchise entries do. I mean, they jump through flaming hoops to try to tie things together. And because both of these entries are already so different and already so bonkers, I feel like they totally could have pulled it off and I would be here for it. So I'd love to know what you think. What do you think about Halloween 6? What do you think about Halloween 3? What do you think about tying them together? Like, did you think of Halloween 3 when you were watching Halloween 6? Um, Do you think they could pull it off or do you think like, nah, that's ridiculous? Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. There are a couple more things that I want to mention before I wrap up that I almost forgot about. Um, One is the mom in this movie, Um, not the young mom, the older mom, uh, the strode mom. Um, She is like this very kind of mousy, uh, sort of trampled upon wife and mother. And um, I really like her character arc, though, because the dad is just a complete jerk, talks down to his whole family, um, does not, not a pleasant person. And um, there is a part of the movie where the mom finds out that he has his family living in the Myers murder house and he did not tell his family of course Uh, I'm sure he just decided it was best and didn't think it was worth a family discussion Um, and she's having she ends up having a phone conversation with him and she's like you knew and you moved us into a murder house and you didn't tell us and after just the very few scenes we've seen her in just being you know like I said completely trampled upon in that moment uh she seems very strong and that she's sort of putting him in his place. And I just really loved that about her. And I enjoyed seeing that. And also that whole scene where she's kind of moving around the house and uh, straightening up and everything. It's a it's a pretty tense little scene. And um, we keep sort of seeing Michael in the background. And, you know, we wonder, like, oh, is this going to be the time when he's going to get her? And he does eventually get her, which I find really sad. I wish that she um, would have gotten out. The dad, of course, dies in spectacular, brutal fashion. But I really wish that she would have survived, especially after her moment of like standing up to her horrible husband. And um, I would love to have seen her and her daughter and her grandson kind of like move off and start, you know, a new life together. Um, But in a strange movie with not maybe the best characters, I just found this little woman to be kind of delightful. Um, 
The other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, my friends over at Straight Chilling just released an episode covering Halloween 4, 5, and 6, uh, the Thorn Trilogy, if you will. And I did not know that they were going to do an episode on this because I'm behind on listening to their episodes. Um, so, dudes, I did not mean to step on your toes, <laughs> but uh, I really think that you can't hear enough opinions about Halloween six because everybody's got one and it's just such an interesting, weird little entry. So go over to straight chilling and uh, be sure to listen to that episode. It's a real long one. Cause like I said, they're covering three movies. They also cover uh, the producer's cut and then Justin only watched the theatrical cut like me. So you kind of get both perspectives. So go listen to that. What makes you think he'll come back here? This house is sacred to him. He has all his memories here. His rage! Mrs. Strode, I beg of you, don't let your family suffer the same fate that Laurie and her daughter suffered. So I hope you guys are having a great Halloween. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that next month's episode is going to be my second anniversary episode and it will include a very important announcement about the future of the podcast. Um, all positive, um, something I'm really excited about. So I hope you guys will tune in next month and I'll talk to you soon. Tuning in. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. Sign up to become a supporter on Patreon for early access to all episodes and more. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help other people find the show. Until next time, stay spooky. Thank you.